this is like the ultimate like anti-vax COVID person's like fantasy of like what the World Economic Forum's up to. Uh, I read this and I realized that Philip K. Dick would 100% be a COVID denier today. Welcome to Book Show, a show about books. With Jacob, John, and Kevin. We're starting with a deep dive into Philip K. Dick. This week, the penultimate truth. War. War never changes. <laughs> I was honestly nice. thinking of doing that exact same thing. <laughs> I've been waiting like all week <laughs> to do that. Should we give our general impressions here before we get into the, to the sticks of things? Well, let's do the premise. Please, let's start with the premise. <laughs> what is going on uh, in the story? Uh, who's doing the two minutes of pain? I, I could do it. I think I could do it. Okay. Do you want me to time you? Yeah, let's get the timers up. So the book we're talking about today is The Penultimate Truth, written by our boy, Philip K. Dick, PKD, uh, published in 1964. In a huge upset, today's novel was written by Philip K. Dick. <laughs> Everyone who had Philip K. Dick on their bingo card, come right down. Yeah, our, our, our two listeners might be pretty surprised. Hey, we um, had 26 listeners in the first episode, which people don't know is we haven't released episode two yet when we're recording this. So, so far we have dozens, literally dozens of listeners. I, I expect that number to drop as we release more episodes. <laughs> yeah, hope that's going to alienate people. <laughs> <laughs> all right so so what kevin's gonna do back on track here kevin is gonna summarize the plot of this book in two minutes he's exactly or two less minutes to summarize the plot or, of less. or less yeah, or less yeah or less <laughs> but certainly not more and jacob and i with great personal struggle <laughs> will not interrupt him while he summarizes this all right you ready i'm ready one two three go okay so uh, this is the far future. This takes place in 2025. Um, World War III broke out in the year 2010, and all of the uh, most of the surf the surface people ended up being sent to these underground vaults to live in these vaults, Fallout style. Um, and in the meantime, these government agents remained on the land, and these government agents create uh, messages that they send to these guys underground through the TV. Um, what we know from the beginning of the book is that it's all a lie, that the war only actually lasted for two years. And for the past 13 years, they've been pretending there's a war going on, but actually they're just keeping all of the, the, the kind of surfs underground where these, these government guys all have, um, <clears throat> who are keep up keeping this elaborate lie are just keeping these gigantic kingdoms and basically living in these kingdoms. And they've divided up the surface of the earth into, you know, this like just, Things that are so large that they have to fly around in helicopters from one house to the other and to work. Um, so that's the basic premise. And you have kind of two stories. One is of the president of this one ant uh, colony. Not ant colony. Ant, tank. Not ant farm. Ant tank. Ant tank. <laughs> Nicholas St. James, who is um, needs to come to the surface because he wants to find an artificial pancreas for his lead mechanic. Because uh, without the lead mechanic, they're going to die. People need to reach quotas to produce these robots called leddies, which are sending up in the, in the, to the surface to fight the war against the Russians, which isn't actually happening. In fact, the leddies are just being used as servants by the rich people. And a few of the people who escaped the ant tanks who now live in luxury apartments, but their lives are not much better than living in an ant tank. Um, in the meantime, uh, a propaganda speechwriter 
named Joseph Adams goes on this whole quest where he's um, trying. Oh my goodness, I can't do this. I've only got eight seconds. <laughs> Just keep going. Don't give up. Three, two, oh, man. He's one. Just, oh. And it's a very difficult novel to summarize. Um, I think I did well yeah, so far. I just, I just didn't get very far. You did far. well so far. You did You did a great job, Kevin. But the, the problem is that there's so, so much happens in the middle to later half of this novel that is just so far afield from the tank, the from like yeah. the premise. Um, like the introduction of time travel uh okay our page favorite my god time so you, scoop you you I'm ran page... out of time kevin we don't want to hear from you you had your time now john you and i time... get to weigh in <laughs> kevin you gotta if you want to add to that you got a time scoop back and to add some stuff into your summary yeah. all I need to say if you is want that... you can read my messages in the chat encouraging you to go faster all i need to say is that on page 88 when the word time wait, scoop wait, wait. appeared i made an audible wait, can we, can we... gasp yeah yeah, me too. I, I I lost my shit. I I was like I was like I was like he's done it again. That magnificent bastard PKD. I did the the Leonardo DiCaprio point <laughs> the screen. Um. Uh, okay, I want to talk about the summary. I want to talk about the plot. But before I do, if we're going to talk about the time scoop, I've read a lot of Philip K. Dick novels, and to see all his favorite stuff just sort of pop back into this like blew my mind like i was like oh my god it's the marvel cinematic universe but it's philip k dick like 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 there's precogs there's like the time scoop like it is ridiculous anyways but um in your summary you kind of got up to the point where um nicholas st james comes up to uh well they actually kind of drop nicholas st james for a while he comes up from the ant tank to the surface to find the as you say the rd4 which is like a um a fake pancreas, like a mechanical pancreas for his lead mechanic, who's like, uh, he's very fond of, like, in a personal level. Like, it's not just for the survival of the tank. Like, he actually, like, loves this guy. Then at the same time, the plot on the surface is with Joseph Adams, the propagandist, who <laughs> who's like, he meets this other guy named Lantano? Is that how you pronounce it? David Lantano, yeah. David Lantano. David Lantano, yes. who, who is, like, otherworldly and is, like, according to Joseph Adams, like the best propaganda writer ever. Like he's like, he's like, I just met like the Michelangelo of propaganda writers. Like I cannot compare to this guy. And, um, sorry, but before he meets Santana, sorry, I got to have myself. Stanton bros, who is like the most powerful person on the planet, essentially, who's like masterminding this, um, that this keeping this fiction that's keeping the ant tankers below ground where they think a war is raging over ahead of them. He enlists Joseph Adams to be part of a special sort of task force that he's assembled whose sole purpose is to frame this guy named Runcible who bros suspects is leaking information to people in the ant tanks to get them to come above ground. And he suspects Runcible of this because Runcible builds con apps, which are like apartments that he's house... He's a developer. Luxury condos. Yeah, he's a developer. Yeah. That who, that how At first, it's presented like he's like this hero that he's helping these... Because every once in a while, ant tankers will come up to the come up to the surface and like like will escape on their, their, on their own sort of designs. You know, some people come to the surface. And Runcible gives these people a place to live. Later on, we find out that it's not quite that altruistic, that he actually just, like, he also, like, forces them back into slave labor, but they get to be above ground, which is slightly nicer. 
but he wants to implement. Wait, are they doing labor? They're not doing any labor, yes. are they? I thought they were just like, oh, their lives are also shitty because they basically live in a little condo unit that they with with. They with live a, in a little condo unit, and, they and they're leave. still assembling things by hand because all the art, all the artifact, or um, sorry, autofacts, which is auto factories that they had in the early 21st century when the war started, they're all gone now. So they have to make everything by hand. That's why the ant tankers make leddies. Yeah. So yeah, but the, but the but the people in the con apps they say they're assembling components by hand. So they're doing mm. the same job they did in the ant tanks, but they get to live above ground and they even like mentioned that they have like a pool, I think. <laughs> and they have their own leddies, like they, they each get like their own servant. No, I don't think they, yeah, they the ant tankers do. They have leddies. Do they? The people the people in the con apps have leddies. Nice. Yeah. But the plot is that he okay, so so Stanton Bros. Wants Another to... evil Stanton, I'll point oh out. Oh my god, first of all, we need to pause on Stanton Bros. <laughs> sure, go ahead. Stanton Bros' descriptions are actually like some of uh, Dick's best writing, I think. Yeah, so Stanton He's the master Bros from Fallout. Is this disgusting human being who's like, how well, is he, 82 years old? But he's like, his body is essentially just like falling apart. Like, he's, Har he's Harkonnen from Dune. When, when, he's like Baron Harkonnen. Yeah, so basically, yeah, he's like this old, unhealthy guy whose body's essentially been falling apart, but he's been hoarding all of the artificial organs, so he just keeps, like, replacing different body parts, except, like, the only thing that's not hasn't been replaced is his brain. Like, they make a, oh, makes a point of saying that several times, that, like, he's, like, turned himself into this Frankenstein monster, and he's just, like, <laughs> physically repulsive to anybody in the room. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, like, there's, like, one scene where they're describing his face moving, and it's just, like... Yeah, he moves his mouth, and it's as if he's molding the flesh of his face like soft toothpaste-like plastic into proper shape. That has got to be one of like Dick's like best descriptions ever. Like, like it's amazing. Like toothpaste-like plastic is incredible. His descriptions um, are so good. Like his descriptions of people are just consistent. This and Ubik, just like they're they're so good. Oh my! Oh my God! And and. Uh, uh, but but bros too. He also describes like, like he's, as you say, bros is like this Frankenstein's monster. He's held together by everything, and he's hoarding all the otter fork uh, parts, like the pancreases and the hearts and all that stuff like that, to keep himself. But he can't alive. hear, and he won't get that. But he can't hear. He needs people to face him when they talk, and if they turn around, which becomes like a plot point because Joseph Adams. So Stan bros has one okay, critical wait. flaw. <laughs> His directional hearing. <laughs> I, sorry, one other thing that Dick does that's great. He always describes Stanton Bros as having like, um, he uses the word senile a lot, but he does it with like a weird, he uses the adjective senile, like as an adjective. He says like senile cunning. Like, if I think about it, I say it now, I'm like, what does that mean? But like, within the context of the book and the way it works, I'm like, I know exactly what it means. <laughs> like, somehow, like this sort of like, this sort of like gerontocratic, like malice, you know? <laughs> like, is amazing so stanton bros um enlists jo joseph adams and his uh what's his friend's name again oh it's uh verblum something Vindman. oh it's like verblum <laughs> i think it's verblum you got it jacob so his friend so so Lindblom. So, Lindblom. Lindblom. Yeah. so so joseph adams is going to um rewrite some old like basically national geographic uh, talking about a discovery that they made, and he's gonna he's gonna write it from uh, as if they were written before the war, and they're gonna be writing about a discovery they made of. <laughs> I don't even want to say it because I don't know if we need to get into this whole plot. They're basically they're trying, they're just, but it's important because it, because it creates the antagonist of the book. Yeah. So so okay. So the point the point is he's gonna rewrite these old National Geographic articles describing um, a a war a fight that happened 
600 years ago between Native Americans and extraterrestrials. And the Native <laughs> Americans won. And they're going to find, like, evidence of this. And then he's going to have Lin, uh, Lindblom or whatever. He's going to create uh, fake skulls and fake futuristic weaponry. And he's gonna, they're going to they're gonna use the time scoop to send it back in time to this area that the developer Runcible is going to build some apartments on. And then they're going to have a plant. Uh, one of Runcible's workers is actually be in the employ of bros. And then uh, the worker, whose name is Robert Higg, will find these items, bring them to Runcible's attention, and then Runcible, their betting, will be so greedy that he won't report this big find that he found on his land because he wants to keep the land because there's a law that says if they find any uh, pre-war artifacts that the developer has to give up the land back to the government. And they think that Runcible won't do it, but they'll have proof that he did find things because Robert Higg is their plant, and then they'll use that to get rid of Runcible. That's the whole plan. It's so convoluted and crazy. And the book like admits this. And then it ends up, of course, falling apart. But what's crazier about it is because they send these futuristic items back in time, and because Ver- Verblumen is whatever, is so good at his job that he bases these futuristic weapons on actual, like, really advanced war weaponry that only Stan yeah. Bros has access to. But he does it so well that the fakes that he makes actually work so he sends back in time like a time travel device that um what's what's his name again land uh, Lindblom. Lantano. <laughs> Lantano. No, Lantano. Yeah. Lantano, who's, Cherokee, who's like himself, a Cherokee warrior. Who's a Cherokee warrior from 600 yeah. years ago, finds this time travel device and uses it to hatch a 600-year-long plot to <laughs> topple Stanton Stand Bros. And take over and free the Antankers. Okay, like, can I talk about the 600-year thing? This was I wasn't clear about. So he's like 600 years old, maybe, or he's traveling back and forth in time. Or maybe both, but 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 he exists in multiple places in time at once, which is why he keeps aging and then becoming young again. Yeah. So when they look at him, sometimes he looks like he's twenty three, and he's supposed to be this twenty three year old uh, propaganda writer. But sometimes he looks like an old man, and sometimes he looks white. Um, yeah, because he was dyed his skin later in life to try to to to, to act as the the supreme he leader, also, who we haven't brought up uh, yet, Yancey. Um. So, uh, yeah. So, are we supposed to understand that he's six hundred years old? Or are we supposed to understand that he's traveling back and forth in time? Because, like, they say several times, like, "Oh, he's been around for six hundred years." Like, he knows better than I do. I, I think like he's that. unstuck from time. I think he's yeah. unstuck from time, <laughs> oh, and I think that's why he oscillates between old age and young age so much. And I think the point is like he's constantly traveling through time. Like he talks about at one point when he's um, like, like he's like he like he teams up with uh, with Foot uh, to like. Oh yeah, to, have to you introduced Foot? He's yeah. an important character. No, we have not. We have not. He's amazing. Um, and they he talks about um, what they think Joseph Adams will do, but they say the future is just like a probability. So, so he has, it's, it is weird that he's doing this plot because if he could just go to the future, then like, what does he care about what's going to like happen, you know? So it's not really clear how time travel works. Um, I'm just going to like think about, I, I don't know exactly the quote is in Star Trek Voyager, but Captain Janeway basically who hates time travel just basically says like, don't think about it too hard. 
you know <laughs> which like i think is like really good advice when it comes to time travel stuff like just don't think about it because it, it doesn't make any logical sense at all um yeah. once you introduce time travel but you just have to sort of roll with it but it, that's how i understood that the same thing as jacob that he was like unstuck from time yeah but what's what's amazing is that nobody notices like normally because he has a day job like he goes to do a job and everyone's just like oh he's been exposed to radiation and the other thing is yeah this this future has eradicated native americans like they've and black they, people they've gone full genocide yeah full genocide they sent them to the moon as a relocation program and then killed them all on the moon yeah so which is which is just like another crazy thing to add in you know? like, <laughs> yeah. there's just so much going on in this book this is like I don't know how it works, but it does. Yeah. Like, so it yeah, so works. everyone thinks he's dark skinned because he's burnt because he lives in this one like because which dimension. is what he tells people. Yeah, yeah. because yeah, he's like, a high radiation zone, like a, a zone that's not safe from radiation. But I actually don't think so. That was interesting because you know how he spends so much time like getting his robot Letty's guys to kill the the other Letty's who are trying to to go to his zone to take readings. I think does that suggest to you that actually his zone is not irradiated and it is safe to live on? Or is he just? Um, but the but the but the ant tankers who live on his land in uh, Cheyenne, they say it's too irradiated for them Those to sleep above don't ground. Know shit. No, what it, what it is is that his zone. So what it is is that his zone is still irradiated, but it's getting close to the radiation going away. So it's not as irradiated as other so-called hot spots on planet Earth in this timeline. So you can survive there longer than other places where you would just like melt instantly because of the radiation. No, but that's uh, and that's why. That's what Joseph Adams thinks, but I, I think there's suggestions that it may not be reliable. I mean, with him, it could be it could be a fake for sure. Yeah. I mean, for sure. He's very, like, I mean, everything about him is, you know, duplicious. So I think there's one, one interesting thing about time in this novel, um, since we were recently talking about time, is um, essentially part of this dystopia, dystopia is there is no future, right? Like, Stanton Bros has set up a society where there's no future. Like everything's about him, like you know, just hanging on a little bit longer, replacing his heart and his liver and his kidney and whatever, and just keeping going. It's a disgusting monster. They can their time scoop only works backwards. They could actually literally only go backwards in time, except for Lantano. <laughs> um, and most of them, because of the radiation, are sterile, so they can't have children. So there's just like this, this there's this society where it's just like these lonely government workers with literally no future. Yeah, and their only job, basically, the only job we see is to either, like, recover land to build domains. These awesome, like, feudal domains. (laughs) Yeah, these awesome feudal domains. And to build robot servants for themselves and to produce propaganda to keep people living underground. That's all they do. There's, There's no industry. They literally use old technology that they don't even, like, understand or can properly use. Yeah, I mean, and then they just fly around. <laughs> and they're flapples. And they're flapples. <laughs> they're flapples. Which is, I mean, oh my god, this book is amazing. Like, I, I've like, thought about the flapples a lot, and I actually disagree. I don't think they're helicopters. I think they're a lot faster. I don't think they're helicopters. And, no, I think it's more of like a, it's more like an airplane that has flappy wings, which somehow makes it faster than the other forms of air transportation that we know of in our timeline. I, I, which I is agree. hysterical. I agree, and I love that they don't describe it, but they have a word that encompasses like emotion, so it makes you think of something, like yeah. which is really great. Like the leddies too. They don't really describe the leddies. They describe them as clanking and stuff like that, but they never really tell us like what they look like or like what they yeah, are. That's true. Yeah. Except they like move weird. Like sometimes they're pirouetting like ballet dancers or circus like 
like almost circus-like. And the leddies are like omnipresent everywhere. I thought the leddies would turn out to be bad guys or something. But like, they're just like tools and they're just... There's this omnipresent force in the book constantly. You know, letties are everywhere. People are surrounded by their letties. And, like, even the term letty, I just love. Like, I just love it. <laughs> There's something interesting with the letty psychology, though, because you're right, where they just seem to be tools and they just seem to do what their masters want. But also, but they have personalities. Well, but also, they're like, well, these ones are war hardened, so they're different. Like, there's, like, guys who, like, actually, like, covet the ones who have been through the war rather than the new ones yeah, that are coming veterans. up from the tanks. Yeah. yeah. They have veteran letties so they can build experience. So they, like, get better. So they're not, like, just robots or, like, you know, like... Well, yeah. there's also different kinds of them and there's different levels of power. Like, I think they talk about the, the people in the ant tanks. Uh, when they talk about doing repairs, like part of the hard part and reading their reaching their quota is that yeah, people up top keep asking for like the Mark Four, Mark Five leddies, and they're like, ah, oh, like we could reach our quota of as the Mark One or Twos, but they keep asking for the complicated ones, and that takes forever. There's a scene early on that I think about that felt very throwaway, but I think it was just actually a really good piece of writing craft from Philip K. Dick. Um, you know how he's just really good undercutting stuff with humor. Like he's yeah. like, it's almost like sitcom level. It's like people being in a really serious conversation and then one slips on a banana peel kind of style stuff. Yeah. Like the one is when, yeah, it's like uh, Nicholas St. James, before he comes up to the for surface, he's all stressed out and he's like having these difficult conversations. He's worried that he might get like murdered by this, you know, this, this kind of radical group underground. And he's like, you know, trying to be a good president to the, to, to his aunt tank. And then he just like tries to go into the bathroom and he can't open the door because his brother's in there brushing his teeth. And it's just, (laughs) I love that. And then his like brother's wife is yelling at him like, you guys were in there this morning for too long and now it's our turn. And it's just like, on the one hand, it does such a beautiful job of undercutting the the drama of that scene and adding some kind of like total complexity to it. But on the other hand, it actually does tell you a lot, which is just like exactly yeah. how cramped and how small their world is like he's the president of this place and he's sharing a bathroom with his brother and his sister-in-law yeah but, but it also <laughs> but it also 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 it feels like real life yeah like it yeah. feels like it feels like real life that's what dick is so good about doing he's just really describing like the banal things in like a really funny way or in a way that just like highlights like how uncomfortable it is like there's something about that to that scene especially and it's not just because I, I I have you know many children and I, I live in a cramped uh, uh, apartment in an uh, unnamed city, but but it, the thing about that <laughs> feels so real, you know, like and it kind of it just it just reads so true, even though it's funny, you know, and, and like like in 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 in, U- in Ubik when um, even though he has to like pay the door to like get out, like that's a kind of fantastical sci-fi idea that's sort of like being stuck by or being like sort of blocked by your technology or stuck by like your lack of funds to do like a very basic thing like also feels like very real and banal to me in a way like i don't know i feel like dick is really good at doing that and they're like cramped sharing the bathroom part i'm like i've been in situations like this you know but i haven't <laughs> yeah. been an tank but like i sympathize immediately and i also know that's really funny yeah, yeah it was really good and it feels throwaway but it's actually it's like it's good you know it's good writing but it comes back it comes back because then joseph adams is like oh i'm gonna go slum it to be safe and he's like he's like they're gonna they're gonna think i'm so special because i threw away all this like space <laughs> and my domains and i'm gonna like i'm gonna love they're gonna think i'm so exceptional when i'm there like sharing a bathroom there. i'm gonna love it you know what i mean there's just like this like panic response like i'll adapt i'll adapt but you know he can't this guy's an aristocrat through and through and he barely lasts two days before he wants to go back to right speeches <laughs> <laughs> i love joseph adam's whole story arc but that, that there's like one scene that later. Where, where he talk okay why you back to it later because there's one part where he t- like 
Oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll see. We can talk about it now. There's one part where he says that, oh, we rule uh, we rule everything, like him and Stanton Bros. And he's like, yeah. but we're not idle. Even Stanton Bros. not idle. We have to work tirelessly, all that stuff like that, which to me like felt like like the boomers of today, you know, like, oh, like, yeah, sure. Yeah. We might have our like giant houses and like our savings accounts and stuff, but like we still have to work all the time. It's like, just shut up. It's not the same as the ant tankers living below ground, like living in constant fear, <laughs> like going up to the surface that like they'll get the bag plague, you know, <laughs> like. So I've, I, I loved, okay, I will talk about it now. I loved his whole storyline in a sense, because he's like, he is one of the main characters, right? There's essentially two, two storylines and he's one of them. Um, and it's like it's he's oh wow you, you think there's essentially two storylines I think there's like four and a half <laughs> <laughs> really hard to put a firm number on that but we'll say two yeah. for sake of conversation <laughs> let's just say the first chapter starts with Joseph Adams he's an important character um, yeah and there's and like, his girlfriend never comes back what happens to Colleen yeah she I takes actually, a flapple I actually, I actually reread the first chapter and I was like wait who's Colleen again <laughs> but he never mentions her again like yeah but so he yeah. Uh, I loved his storyline because it starts out with him just being like, basically, he's lost his groove. You know, he's like, he, he was this, you know, important, powerful speechwriter. And now he's literally just using this like machine that he spent 15,000, whatever their currency The Rhetorizer. Yeah, the Rhetorizer, where you just uh. like put in prompts and it creates a speech for you. Like, it's just like, he's just like, <laughs> his only job is writing propaganda. And it, now it's just like a computer where he just writes like, it's squirrel. propaganda autofill. Yeah. It's just autofill for trash. Yeah, like, like he's really just like uninspired, right? And he's just like torn because he's like, he's lost his speech. His Spark, and he's like, you know, decides to write this, write a speech by hand. But then he sees Lantano like programming his speech into the f- deep fake leader guy, and he's just like, my speech sucks. Like I've I've lost it. I'm not. I'm nothing. And then there's a whole his whole arc of like becoming disillusioned with bros and the whole system and everything. But at the end of the book, he's inspired when he realizes like, oh, I can I can create a new lie, and like this is what I do. He feels inspired again, and he's like, again, like, I'm, I have the power, and I can write that speech, you know? So it's like this whole storyline is about this guy who, like, felt uh, uninspired and then kind of got his groove back as a propagandist. <laughs> La- Lantano is brutal with him. Like, there's one point where Lantano says that, like, Joseph Adams is different than the other Yance men, that, like, he has sympathy for the uh, ant tankers, but yet he still does nothing. <laughs> right. It really felt like um, like an indictment of people like from he's World a War II. Lid. Yeah. <laughs> he's like a, uh, he's, like he's kind of like a liberal who like feels bad about things, but then like doesn't want anything to actually change. It's really great. Well, that's why I love the way his story ends. Where in the end, he's like, "No, I am that guy. I am the propaganda writer." He's like, "I'm not. He's 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 not the ally to the ant tankers," and he kind yeah, of accepts that, right? He, he's kind of, he has a hypocrisy about him, yeah. right? Because he almost does risk his life to sort of like save Runcibles, who he thinks is helping the end tankers. But at the same time, like, he, he has like no integrity, you know? Yeah. Like, or it's kind of like, or it's like, it's kind of waffles. Like, it's, it's he inconsistent. He flip flops. Yeah. He's, he's very, yeah. like, he, he's, he's constantly agonizing over what he's doing while he, you know, he makes choices and stuff. But like, he flips back and forth and then he sort of flips back like twice in like the last third of the book there in critical ways. But. Yeah. It's also, and when he's introduced with the Rhetorizer, which sidebar, I, I love the Rhetorizer. <laughs> I think it's one of Dick's best inventions. It's, it's, I love it. And it's like, there's people at my job who use like programs like that. Um, 
Edit that part out, Kevin. Listeners can't know I have a job. Um, but but he uses a rhetorizer, so I'm like, oh, this guy's a hack. He sucks, right? But then he's like, no, I'm really good. I'm really good. But then he's like, clearly not. <laughs> well, he just lost his groove. He's not feeling inspired. He needs something to inspire him, like like a revolution. What about the propaganda? Jacob, I feel like you'll have a lot to say about this. Gottlieb, Gottlieb. All I could think about with this propaganda and this whole story is that, you know, I don't know when it was written, probably back in the 60s, but it really felt like it could be uh, read today, like written today, you know, like a story about how there's a noble lie about an illness and everybody needs to stay inside. Uh, But it turns out that this lie is just being employed so that a few rich people who uh, fly around the world to various conferences and so on, uh, you know, could just live fat off the land. But anyway, sorry, I'm actually talking about this. uh, This is like the ultimate, like, anti-vax COVID person's, like, fantasy of, like, what the World Economic Forum's up to. Uh, Sorry, that's just my sense of the propaganda. I thought it was great that uh, I read this and I realized that Philip K. Dick would 100% be a COVID denier today. He'd be like, no, this is just a big government lie just like in one of my stores it's not real it's the bag play yeah i i i i, I agree <laughs> i think definitely dick in the dick in the 70s from what i hear i mean I, I i don't know it sounds like he would have you know been easily swept up that, that's that's the whole kind of thing that's he would take about. all the drugs except for the moderna <laughs> vaccine that's that's the thing that's kind of a buzzkill about these like these new countercultural people is they took they kind of made it all the fun parts of the sixties counterculture, like not fun anymore. Like <laughs> if I, if I, if I like extrapolate this book to the present day, I don't like, I'm like, I'm very unhappy. Like I, I just, no, I, this literally could be written by like one of like the convoy organizers in Ottawa. Like this, is like this is what they think is actually happening right now. Or what was attempted to happen by like the globalists in the last like three years. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. There's a lot of that paranoia, you know, that everything yeah. we're being fed is a lie. And then there's even the part at the end where, um, one of them's thinking about how, who even if they want to undo the propaganda, whoever inherits it, like has to necessarily keep it up on some level. Because if they just come out and say like, "Oh, hey guys, that was all a lie," like they can't, yeah. they say they say right away they can't do that. They can't do that because it's like too painful, right? Because they can't just can't just rip off the band aid. Just doesn't work like that. Like there'll be panic or whatever. Well, they're worried about social control, right? They're just like, oh, if everybody comes yeah. up from the service <clears throat> at once, then society will fall apart. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But then they talk about how like. So you have to you have to do it gradually. So how do you do it gradually? You make another lie. So yeah. then you're already stuck in this system, and then like, yeah, and then you're then you're sort of stuck. It's like it's like it's like you're just gonna you're just gonna recreate that status quo again on some level, right? And like Joseph Adams is like excited to do that. He's like, no, I can do the perfect one, and I can like, you know, make it so easily so everyone could come out. But like Nicholas St. James is kind of like. No, just keep it simple. Like, yeah. you know, the radioactivity is subsiding. That's it. Like, that's it. You know, just end it. You know, like he, he's kind of real, a realist about it. And it's like the book is not, doesn't really end with saying that like Nicholas A. James is right. It's almost like, are you sure you can even do that? Like, you know? Yeah. The penultimate truth. Like, what did you make of that title? Is that that the penultimate truth is the war is over and there's another truth that's coming? Is that what that's supposed to mean? That's the most sense I, I can I, make of it. I thought it was supposed to be ironic that, like, yeah. the penultimate truth, like the one before the end, it means that they're like, it's just, it's just like a, it's just another lie, like essentially, mm-hmm. it's building up to another lie. Yeah, yeah. So going back to the propaganda in the '80s, this guy, who's basically an intellectual heir of of Goebbels, Gottlieb Fischer, <laughs> um, created two fake realities of the world war ii but what i found one which plays for the west democracies and one which plays for pack p up which is the russia and soviet union and their their allies 
Do you guys know how to pronounce that? Is it pack peop or pack or? Is it people? Anyway, I thought it was pack peop for yeah. people. Pack peop, yeah. Pack Pacific peep. people. Pacific yeah. people. Oh, that's what it means. They they explain Western uh, democracies. I don't think they explain what pack peop was. This is like this is like when Jacob fin- figured out we were like electric ant. Uh, we don't really know what it means, but you can sort of guess. And he's like, Jacob was just like, it's electricant. No, I said that. <laughs> that was Kevin. Oh, you yeah. did? Thank you for the credit. Still yeah. didn't help to explain. No, it. no. The, po- the propagandists be- will revise this is it. So it was Jacob. Um, yeah. So there's yeah. There's two sets of propaganda being sent to Fed since before the war. But here's what I what I find interesting. So Philip K. Dick, I think in the in the mythology of the story, is like we have to find a way that Germany um, redeems itself. So they have to create this elaborate lie where they were actually allies to the U.S. in World War II, and actually the British were the enemies. Um, so that people could basically forgive Germany and allow them to be a world power, which is like really funny in contemporary society that like that, you know, obviously that was not necessary. Like G- Germany was, was allowed <laughs> to move on without some kind of great lie. Like people, he's he, cause like, in, it's, it feels like in, in the mythology of this book, like people would not have been able to forgive Germany for the Holocaust. Dick really hated England, eh? <laughs> <laughs> like in Man in High Castle too, he like turns church like Churchill who lives becomes like this like tyrannical like harsh guy but fair in the uh, <laughs> in the in the grasshopper lies heavy uh, alternate world. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually kind of confused by that whole revisionist history thing. I didn't really understand it. I didn't really get it. I didn't really understand the timeline of that either. Um, like where Fisher introduces that because didn't Fisher disappear before the war? Like yeah, yeah, no. So that that that's was those those documentaries that everyone grew up on were made in the eighties. So this this whole this whole thing started well before the war, which started in two thousand ten. It was a restructuring of world power that happened, yeah, decades earlier. I also thought it was interesting that Lantano worked for Fisher, like somehow, and that like Foot was like, well, there's oh, an Lantano's implication so he might be Fisher. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought too. I thought the implication was that he was Fisher, but I didn't then catch he that. models Talbot Yancey on himself. But himself in like white face, essentially. I don't think we've explicitly said this, but yeah, Lantano turns out to be, he was in one of these fake documentaries as FDR? No, as as Dwight D. Eisenhower. As Eisenhower, he, sorry. He's, he's Eisenhower. As Eisenhower. He plays a and minor. His, and then his, he plays a minor but important guy. Yeah, and then, his, and then because he was kind of the striking figure, then when they created Talbot Yancey, who's this fake leader who rules over the entire... Who, who kind of delivers these fake speeches to the, to the people in the ant tanks. He's they a Chuck modeled, Cheese they robot. Modeled, they modeled yeah. Talbot Yancey on him, um, which is convenient because then he, he it's supplied at the end that he's going to pretend to be Talbot Yancey. And, I thought it was that he planned it out that way. That's possible, He like, yeah. used his time machine to make it so that they modeled Talbot Yancey off him and they made the Chuck E. Cheese robot of Talbot Yancey, you know, the My Fellow Americans guy. <laughs> and so that when he eventually kills bros... Uh, all the ant tankers coming above ground will be like, oh, you're Talbot Yancey. Yeah. And they'll like follow him. Like he won't need the, the Chuck E. Cheese robot. Right. Here's what I found interesting about the ending. There's this lead up to this big showdown, right? Where it's like, okay, like you don't know. Joseph Adams is supposed to help um, murder bros. And then he bails at the last minute. He's, he's going to be helping. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. That was a very <laughs> weird chapter. Yeah. He bails. I last... had to reread that chapter. I don't understand it still. <laughs> Yeah, well, there was because, well, Lantana was like, there's, there's, there, there, because he could see all the future prob- probabilities, right? And he's like, there's a one in 40 chance that he bails and he does. He takes that, he, he ends up bailing. 
Um, but I think what was interesting is at the end, so there's this, it's leading to this big showdown, like who's going to win? Is it going to be bros? Is it going to be Lantano? Who's going to, to become Yancey essentially? Is it going to be Runcible? Who's like the, the, the capitalist conapt creator, uh, developer? Um, is it going to be Webster foot? Who's like this, uh, spy police guy? Um, precog, uh, telepath, it can tell the future. Yeah. And you never actually get an answer to that. Like I found that really interesting. You, you want to know how I thought it was going to end? When they're building this up, so so Joseph Adams decides that he's not going to. So so Lantano convinces Joseph Adams to um, set a trap for Bros using this like this device that will shoot like a cyanide dart at him, right into his brain to kill him. The idea is that uh, Joseph Adams is going to set up a meeting with Bros and then it'll just automatically kill him, and that's how Lantano will finally kill Bros. Mm-hmm. But Joseph Adams has like a crisis of conscience, and then he kills. Uh, for the bodyguards that Foot sent to guard him to break away from them and not go to New York to the meeting with bros, but instead rendezvous with Nicholas St. James and hide in an ant tank. And then it's not really clear why he kind of like... No, it's because he, he sees that Lantano is going to replace bros yeah. as like the guy pulling all the strings and he thinks that's equally bad. Yeah. But he does it in a manic way. He says that time is the problem because bros is somehow going to live long than he should so time is a real problem but lantano represents time yeah so he comes at yeah exactly as you said but he comes to the point that like that lantano is somehow going to be as bad or if not worse than bros like it's gonna be a tyrannical future so he just decides like to peace out on it yeah and then they don't tell us what happened but joseph adams is like uh exposition is like well lantano will figure out a way basically and then he talks about like runcible like you say kevin and so what I thought was going to end, I thought the ending of the book was going to be, they get back to the ant tank and then actual World War Four starts and they can't go back up again. <laughs> That's what I thought was going to happen. I thought ending. that was an awesome ending. Yeah. yeah. Like like they inadvertently started World War Four, and then the ant tankers the fiction that they believed in is the reality now. Yeah. Like, I that's mean, what I thought how can you start World War Four? There's how many like, hundreds of people on the surface? Like, I mean, it doesn't make sense. But like, yeah, there's a bunch of leddies <laughs> fighting again. I mean, there's gazillions of leddies. Yeah, but, yeah. I, but I love that. Just like it, the whole thing is as big. It's leading up to this big showdown. And then they're just like, it's implied that bros is dead at the end. But then they just leave it at that. And they're like, well, you don't know what's going to happen. But like, it doesn't, doesn't matter. You know, someone is going to be, uh, be bros. Either it's going to be bros or it's, or it's going to be Lantana or it's going to be someone else. But like, someone's going to be that guy. I don't know why he doesn't trust Lantano because I kind of trust Lantano. <laughs> He is he is like very generous to Nicholas St. James for for no reason. That was I found confusing. He's just Nicholas St. James goes to meet the other escape tanker is living on Lantano's land and then he just sees Lantano he's like can I come with you and Lantano's like come along and they just brings him back to his home to meet his family and like which puts him at huge risk presumably because he's like running around with a convict that's illegal well there, there's a bit of a thing here though that's kind of convenient right where it's like lantano maybe is cultivating people to be his followers after he deposes mm. bros and it's interesting that what he does with nicholas st james is he he directs him to where he and webster foot direct st james to where he can get the artiforg to revive maury souza who's the only guy who can help keep recreating letties because the whole point only, is that the ant tank that, is gonna yeah only that, that ant tank there's like there's they, they say sure. they literally say there's thousands of these tanks sure but the idea is that like we're not we're not given like a character from each one of the ant tanks to follow them around but it's sort of i think interesting and ambiguous as far as lantano's motives that like the thing that he gives to to nicholas st james which he's like this is great i can heal my friend is coincidentally also the same thing that enables them to continue to make letties to serve their masters oh uh, that's a good point i hadn't <laughs> thought about that i thought it was like 
I first I thought it was like Lantano saw something in the future that Nicholas St. James had like some part to play, you know? But then mm. in the end, it's just kind of reads as him being generous for no reason. But you're saying it's to keep the supply. Well, he's manipulative at other times, but also, but, right? But it's but like Nicholas when he talks James, to Joseph but Adams. But Nicholas St. James goes back to the end tank, though, and he says that we're not fulfilling quotas anymore. So he's not, even with the artifact, he's not... They're not going to build. But we don't know. We don't know what Lantano. I mean, we sort of know that Lantano announces that they're going to, you know, the war is over. But we don't really know where it goes from there. I think, I think it's very to ambiguous. Know everything. Like, he seems yeah. to know everything. He seems to have some mysterious reason for letting Nicholas St. James, like, helping him out. Hmm. It's also possible it just doesn't really add up. Like, the, this book is, is a bit of a mess as far as the details are concerned. <laughs> and it's just kind of, like, bumps along, I think. And it's fun. But it's like, I, I think some of the details are, like, very, like, the time travel stuff is. Kind of messy. I actually, I disagree. With that. I actually think a lot of this book is not a mess. Yeah, I like I actually think this is actually like kind of a tight book in yeah. a lot of ways. Which, like, given all the disparate elements of this, I'm actually like kind of amazed I'm saying that. But like, I think it handles these things a lot better. Like, it handles them better than Ubik. Yeah, I think this book is tighter than than Ubik, which is like one of his tightest books. I mean, this side of Bad in the High Castle, but like. <laughs> It, had, it juggles all these things. Like even I know as we're talking about it, people may be listening to this and thinking like this book sounds like an absolute mess. But when you're reading it, it's actually like it works. Like it works. It's fun and it works. And it's like it's actually like decent world building. Like <laughs> I thought I thought it was pretty coherent actually for all this this crazy stuff. Yeah. No. I mean I agree with you that the world building is very good, but I think the plot itself. Like like I agree with you that like sort of a good way to read this is the Janeway approach to time travel, which is I uh, don't think too hard about it. I agree that the world building is amazing, but I think the plot kind of goes all. No. Over if you the think about the time then, travel too yeah. hard, it doesn't make sense. But I think yeah. you have to think of Lantano as a mysterious figure who works in probabilities, then kind of makes sense. But it does not really clear why he helps Nicholas St. James. And I, I, I chose to interpret it as him actually feeling sympathetic to the ant, ant tankers and, and just like showing that sympathy by being generous to this, this one guy. So, That's how I thought. Because he is, he's also feeding the ant tankers who are not producing anything a little above ground. Yeah, and he's and and he and what Joseph Adams first notices in him is that his speeches are giving hope to the ant tankers. And that's what he finds remarkable. He's like, how did you manage to write that in a way that it'll like satisfy the government, but it's also giving hope to these people? And you know what? There's another interesting thing exactly about that too, because it, Which makes Lantano them more is Lantano <laughs> less is likely kind to of, rebel. But I think I think actually uh, I think maybe it makes sense if we're doing like this moral reading of the book, like trying to understand like the morality of it, like just like kind of dumb, but we're gonna do it anyways because it's fun. If if you think about. Um, even Nicholas St. James and Joseph Adams think this about Lantano. Like, Nicholas St. James recognizes that he's, Lantano is um, generous to him, but he's also like, but how, why is this guy being so generous when, like, his leddies are programmed to kill people? Like, he almost dies yeah. from Lantano's leddies until Talbot Yancey, who I guess is Lantano, saves him. But, like, he almost dies, and the implication is that these leddies have probably killed other tankers. Like, they're just programmed to, they do. So, like, Lantano set that up. So, it's kind of like this almost, like, Lantano is, has the same callousness towards life that Bros does. And that when Adams kills people, he's, like, talking about, oh, and Lantano talks about the necessary deaths, right? Yeah. So, like, Lantano's lived long enough. And the idea is, like, when you accumulate enough power, you start to get very um, sort of cavalier or uh, 
reckless with people's lives, like they become less important to you. And maybe that's also the flip side of that is that why it's very easy for Lantano to be generous, generous to Nicholas St. James, because it means nothing to him. Like killing no. him or being generous to him means nothing to him because he's like, he really lives in this like hierarchical world where he's better than everybody and it's like oost with the power. I think, I think that's, that's what it's about. I think this idea is like people in power can seem generous to you, but like it's really just, they're just, because it's easy for them. It means nothing for them to be generous, you know? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I see I see like Lantano as kind of like uh, like a bizarro bros in a lot of way. Like they're both characters who have kind of bodies that are falling apart in different ways that are still animated by this kind of like semi-omniscient sort of uh, scheming, manipulating mind. And, yeah. and yeah. I think the yeah. ambiguity of the ending of the book is really like, well, you know, maybe Lantano's doing all of this, you know, because he, he sincerely cares about the tankers, but... You know, maybe he's also someone who, like, you know, this is really about petty squabbling between the elites and everybody I, I, else is kind of like a sideshow, right? It's like you have sort of three levels of characters. You've got, you know, Bros versus Lantano, and then you have, like, Webster, Foot, and Joseph Adams, who are kind of, like, the helpers who think that they have agency in this, but are kind of delusional. And then you have, like, the Ant-Tankers and the Lettys who are basically, like, not even on the board when it comes to who has agency in this. I love how you... you you lump ant tankers and letties together. Yeah, I think in the book they are. <laughs> I think the letties. I think the letties are above the ant tankers. Yeah, the tankers serve the letties. <laughs> I, th- I think. I think you nailed it, Jacob. I think. I think it's this this callousness of the elites, and I think that's the the Joseph Adams when he that explains why he doesn't help Lantano because he recognizes yeah. that Bros and Lantano are the same, and then the end of the book where it's kind of like it's ambiguity about is this good or bad for the ant tankers? It's kind of like. Well, as long as they're powerless, it's it's bad for them. You know what I mean? Like they're screwed if it's powerless. Them. Like Bros or Lantano, it kind of doesn't make a difference. And even the generosity of Lantano, because it's still baked into that power structure, will still not give them what they really need. No, they're dependent on one guy. And my understanding is a lot of Bros's power is that he legally owns everything. Like there's this complicated legal structure that governs the oh world. Oh my god, and the part with the lawyers. Yeah. Oh, did you get that line about the lawyers? It's so good. Does oh, I forget the quote? exact line, but there's like a really funny thing about like how they can, they occasionally could like sue each other and like you no, know. We're, no, no, we're foot. We're foot's precog powers. He's like, oh, he's like, he's like, this is like mischief lies and like um, striving. He's like, wait, mischief lies and striving. That's lawyers. Lanteno <laughs> is gonna legal set the legal precedent that he is Talbot Yancey and therefore <laughs> supersedes bros and yeah. can therefore order everyone's ladies. Whereas like puts precog powers like initially almost initially turn it into like a legal problem. <laughs> Just, yeah. like, what is amazing. Like what's this is this has got to be one of if if this is not Dick's best book, it's like it's one of his best. <laughs> I gotta say that like, this book is amazing. I, yeah, having only read the books that we've talked about, Man in the High Castle, Ubik, and this, I was shocked at how good this was. Like I was like, this is yeah. I don't, you Dude, don't hear, I have this is never not read canon, this book. Right? This is not Capan and Dick. I have never heard of this book. Yeah, <laughs> I have never heard of this book. And 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 okay, sorry, go on. Go well, on. we chose it particularly specifically because we're like, let's do something that's not canon. It was obscure. Yeah, and we happened to we, me and John both happened to have this book, um, and we did it, and it's just like it's yeah it just works on so many levels. Like it's like, it's a good, it's a good plot. Like the, it's just like descriptions are amazing. I I think it didn't have the clunkiness or the hand wavy ending that we're used to, you know, um, I don't know. It was was just, it it was really uh, a surprise. I was surprised by how good this book was. Dude. I, I, I agree. Um, I had never heard of this book. I'd never heard of this particular Philip Kiddick book. And 
I, I read the synopsis of this and I thought I thought it sounded I thought it sounded boring. It sounded like shit. It sounded like a bad Star Trek episode, you know, <laughs> or a good Star Trek episode. But um, but then um, after finishing it, I, I I love this book. I think it's amazing. Like I think this is one of the, I think this might mm, this might be. I don't know. I need to think about it, but I think I like this book better than Ubik. Ubik is so like, insane. Like Ubik has something. Ubik is amazing. Ubik was for a long time my favorite Philip K. Dick book, um, but this this one is it's tighter. This one is this one is yeah it is it is tight. You're right. It doesn't even have a hand wavy ending like everything else we've read by him. Um, and even at the prose level, do you notice there's like a lot of sentences with like a ton of clauses in them and like a lot of semicolons like strung together and a lot of like subordinate clauses just go on and on. He doesn't usually the the other books we've read for this like this stupid podcast have not been like that. Mm-hmm. Like Man in the High Castle, very tight like sentences for the most part. Like. This one is like really like the even the prose is, is uh was different. Like some of the sentences I had to reread because it's like what the fuck is going on here? Is this James <laughs> Joyce or some shit? Like, well, you know this book was <laughs> smashed together from uh, three earlier stories that he'd written, uh, so it could be like. And, I, and my understanding is that so he it's fed stick- into the Redorizer. Yes, exactly. He fed his own previous like work into the Redorizer, <laughs> and then it spat out this like Frankenstein monster of a novel. Wait, is Paycheck kind of one of them? Is the time scoop? No, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so four. Oh my god! Four. Also, okay. Like, I want to talk about the world building, in specifically in relation to the time scoop. Going back to that, time scoop, time scoop, time <laughs> scoop. For the first eighty-seven pages of the book, you're just like, okay, this is kind of a plausible future reality. It's like there's a lie, there was a nuclear war, you know, there's 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 uh, space travel, like all these things were just kind of like, you know, whatever. Humans could, this, this could exist in some future reality. And then suddenly the time scoop is introduced halfway through the book. And then it's just, it's just crazy. Yeah, and then precogs right after. Yeah, and then, yeah, exactly. And then you find Pre, out this. Precogs, yeah. and, and for, for <laughs> listeners who haven't seen Minority Report, uh, precogs are people who can tell the future. My phone is, my phone is ringing. Landline? Sorry. Because uh, I live in a conapt, <laughs> the uh, the phone. Would you come is, see my domain. The phone is how you people can buzz in and stuff like that. Do you do you pronounce a domain Debesny? I didn't know that. It's so, it's pronounced. I looked it up. It's pronounced domain. Okay. <laughs> I have one more thing to say about the ending. So Nicholas St. James, he went up to find his artificial pancreas, the Artiforg. Um, he ended up finding it in like a a site that hadn't been excavated yet this old military site and bringing it back to his ant tank and getting it to stand to his to his buddy maury souza and it's funny because it's like he completed his mission but his mission doesn't really matter anymore you know what i mean it's like it's like it doesn't they don't need a chief mechanic anymore like they're coming out no but he but he but he but he he loves him it's for the kids save his life like it's not just about the mechanic thing he like he he they set it up that he this souza mechanic was so generous like he was like such an amazing person. The Nicholas St. James, like it's, bro, yeah. it's clear it's not just for productivity for him. But he like also he, didn't he really, loves this guy. He also didn't really want to go, and he kind of only left because he was afraid that this group of radicals was going to murder. Well, him because he, he thought it was certain death. He thought it was it was it was it was it was a futile endeavor to try and find Artie Fork on on the planet's surface. He he literally thought there's a device that immediately hones in on your heartbeat and kills you, and not to mention. Uh, all the amazing neologisms in this book, like bag plague and like all these like these diseases that they talk the about. Stink in the, first, uh, the stink of shrink. The stink of shrink. Where like there's a these, smell that goes into your head that makes your head shrink. Yeah, yeah. These are these are like these are like these are like like disease names that Trump came up with. You know, like um, like stupid rhymes and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. 
but yeah, yeah, they're they're really good. So so I th- I think it's just it's just purely it's purely like he likes he likes this guy like this guy he he loves him you know he cares for him, and and he 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 stays on task like the whole thing. He finds out his whole life is a lie, and he's still like I'm here for the pancreas. Yeah, that's what I love. That was interesting. I found that interesting. Yeah, he's the only person with any like integrity, and he's uh, a democratically elected ruler. So I don't know, <laughs> pro pro democracy PKD. I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Kevin, you were talking about how I want. I want to. I want to talk. I just. I just want to keep gushing about this book. Um, when they got to the time scoop, and then shortly thereafter, they had the precog detective, the precog British detective who's basically like James Bond, Sherlock Holmes, but he can tell the future, but he gets these hunches. Hunches, yeah. I thought he was basically like Philip K. Dick, like spoofing Sherlock Holmes kind of thing. Like it doesn't, <laughs> even, it doesn't even matter what clues he gets, he'll like automatically figure it out anyways, you know? More of a Pinkerton agency kind of thing though, right? If he's just like, he's working for all the rich guys. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure. One of those. Yeah. It's like, it's like this, this, this omniscient detective and like they never explain why he can tell the future and they never like say like, and everyone knows he can tell the future, but like, also, they like they're like nobody else can tell the future, and they never explain it, but it works so well, and it's like also doesn't work, like it works so well in the book, but also like his precog abilities don't work very well for him. Like it's like they're not that useful. <laughs> like I mean, <laughs> I mean I guess they are, but they're not, they don't make him as like, powerful as like Lantana, who can like literally travel to the future and find out what's going on. Um, but this book has everything, and this book even has World War Two in it. It has like all like the Cold War, like paranoia. World War Two, like this, like obsession with like Nazi Germany and like and like their their propaganda machine, well, and like yeah. and and like and class imbalances and like power structures and like how horrible it is to work and like <laughs> like all this stuff, like it has all the great PKD stuff. He's really obsessed with propaganda. Eh? This is interesting because. Um, the yeah. power of propaganda because even in the man in the high castle he's like there's this whole po- there's this whole plot about who's going to take over when the when the the, the, the the chancellor dies and it ends up being Goebbels and like people are like oh people kind of and he ends up being like the most dangerous one and he starts a, an, essentially another world war but also the uh, internalized racism of a lot of the characters too yeah but i'm saying it's, 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 it's the effect it, of the propaganda yeah and then in this book obviously it's like propaganda is this huge enemy of the, of the book but at the same time, it's, like, funny the way that, like, Dick deals with propaganda. Like, in in this anyway, it's, like, literally people have to go watch, like, a leader give a speech, which is, like, the least sophisticated. <laughs> like, it's, like, really, really silly. Like, it's not like they have pop culture or anything or uh, whatever. It's, like, literally they have, like, one guy who's supposed to be in charge, and he, like, charms them with his charisma through, like, the vid screen that keeps screwing up. <laughs> that everyone's like, yep, that's just reality. Yancey told us. Uh, which is a little different in, I mean, Man in the High Castle, it's it's not uh, quite the same. Again, like, Man in the High Castle doesn't really have that. I mean, it has more, like, the thing that's in common is that in both Man in the High Castle and this one is you have people who are, like, going back and, like, messing with the past, um, you know, to try to, like, change the future kind of thing, right? Like, you know, like, in, in the plot in Man in the High Castle with the, um, the duelers, um where they're trying to like create uh these kind of like forgeries um and then that will like uh that they sell to the japanese and then here where you have like the propagandists who are uh working to sort of like change the past and all that stuff so there's a lot of like weird stuff like that where i think dick feels like um well it feels like this is an argument others have made which is that if you control history then you can you know mind control people in the present jacob what did you think about this book me and john have just been talking about it big picture 
I think it's a lot more flawed uh, than, than uh, John does, certainly. I think he liked it, too. I mean, like, again, like, I, I, there's lots of stuff I like about it, but there's also, like, large parts of it where, like, you know, like, Webster Foote is just kind of thinking and, like, filling in the blanks for a while, where he, it's, like, they're just like, oh, like, we have to fill in some backstory. Uh, how are we going to do this? Uh, we'll just have Webster Foote, like, think about it for a while, and then you're just, like, reading, like, the sort of constructed you know, exposition that sort of fills in what else has been going on. And I, I don't know. I, I thought there were parts of it that were like, like it was clear that <laughs> there were some choices, artistic choices made in service of like getting to the end. But what's of the great plot. about that is like when you read, like he's he's a detective, right? But when you read a detective story, you don't really actually give a shit about what the like the clues are. You don't give a shit about like deducing yeah. what it is. It's not like an, unless it's like an Agatha Christie novel, and you sit there and you like think about all the clues and you try and figure out what the ending's going to be. You don't care about it. What you care about is like watching the protagonist, in this case Webster Foot, like the <laughs> character, the detective, just like be smart and figure things out and tell, explain things to you. Like that's what you want. And oh yeah, when they have sure, this like just, when they have this device of like the precog thing, they just explained it to us, and it's like that's fine, that's fine. Like yeah, we don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to wonder who's the bad guy. Like, that's fine. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fun. Yeah. I take your point, Jacob, but you're fucking wrong. But <laughs> if you're wrong? I just love... Oh, what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it is you that is an error. <laughs> I, can't ha- I, can't, I can't handle this conflict. <laughs> didn't see that coming, eh, Precog? <laughs> no, I'm not Walter Foot. I didn't have my It's Webster Foot. You can say his name. Webster Foot. What book were you reading? Some knockoff? Like, uh, was it Actually, made by Ed Frank Jewelers? Made the version of the my, book that you're uh, reading? My, 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 <laughs> All the my names great, are fucked up. <laughs> my, my great secret is I don't know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> That's the penultimate truth for you. Yeah. <laughs> The, the ultimate truth of this podcast is that we're all guessing the plot based on the titles. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if someone else read me, I've, if someone else read me the titles, perhaps one of my children or my wife, and they read me the title, and and I and I and I, we're actually improving the premise as we're talking it out between the three of us. This is an improv show. <laughs> actually, probably could come up with a better premise, a tighter premise, if we improved it. This is a wild Absolutely. book. <laughs> so, Jacob, so you, you didn't like this book. No, no, it's not that I disliked it. It's just that, like, I, I feel like you're putting this in, like, God-tier dick mode. Like, this is, like, a, yes. this is the ultimate. This is the, you know, I, I, which, again, like, I, I like all this stuff. You know, I, I'm signed up, just as the rest of us here are, to read as much dick as we can, as long as we can. Uh, so, obviously, I'm on board for this. But I just thought that there were, like, parts of this book that were, like, kind of silly. Uh, although, one thing we did not talk about that I feel like we should talk about a bit, a bit more, uh, and this, to me, was probably the coolest part of the book, is the Gestalt Mocker. There's this, like, yeah. assassination device that's used to That was actually kill. my least favorite. That was my least favorite part of the book. Well, this is because you, like, <laughs> I, look, I, I, can't, I can't apologize for your questionable taste. Um, but the, the Gestalt Mocker is, like, this assassination device. It's, like, a specific kind of, like, letty that was developed in, like, a German lab. I do love lab the and, name, though. The Gestalt Mocker is so It's nice. insane. Like, this is the stuff that I think that you like about the entire book, which I found the most pleasure out of this particular ridiculous thing, which is, like, this kind of robot that was eventually in a German lab in World War Three, and <laughs> it basically can like break into anywhere and kill anyone instantly, while at the same time leaving evidence pointing to a different person. <laughs> and if it gets busted, it can just turn itself into a TV oh that God. becomes unopenable, which is the craziest <laughs> thing. It just has this like old TV, and then like and then like Webster Foot finds the TV immediately, and he's like, oh. 
they used a gestalt locker and he's like well i'll have to give it to my team and they might get this open in like six months but, no, but there's kind of a subplot that like they can't get it open it's like yeah. impossible and they have to get like a drill bit from like Jupiter from the moon shit. from the moon they have to go to the moon to get a drill bit no, yeah, but it's a, but it's a, Mars, but it's a Mars, drill bit. But it's a drill bit made from a mineral that they could only find on another planet, and it still doesn't work. And yeah, it's, like, it's almost like they never get this fucking thing open. <laughs> so I also thought this was funny. The heavy-handed. I, I found this to be very heavy-handed imagery of it turning into a TV, and then yeah. Webster Foot walks in the room and he goes, "This is the killer. The TV set." <laughs> 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 it's an I was eating pie yeah. level line. Well, it's you, incredible. That in conjunction with the fact that people are being fed propaganda through a fake mad through a television felt a little heavy handed <laughs> to me. I, I did I did love when the uh the Gestaltmacher is going through the window, it plays like audio, goes, damn it, like to make it an audio <laughs> recording for person. Yeah. <laughs> it's so elaborate. I reread that part because it was like so such a long like murder scene description and the part where he talks i was like oh is there someone inside there you know like i was like what is going on but then later on they say that it's, it's part of like it leaves all this evidence like the hair the drop of blood the like <laughs> alpha brain wave and it also like leaves audio recording of someone going oh damn it and, and like as if like stan bros would climb through the window as well like this corpulent yeah. like this guy who's like who's this through guy a pinhole like, <laughs> toothpaste plastic like skin like it's like i don't know if Nintendo's an evil genius guys <laughs> like, <laughs> i think the future's pretty dumb like. well jacob i'm glad you liked the chapter it was a long chapter it was uh so so dick was generous to you in that sense no i mean i like i liked other parts of the book too i mean look follow the 90s followed is like one of my favorite games and so obviously i'm heavily indebted to this book uh, for no other reason than that it seems pretty obvious that like one of my favorite games ever like is based in large part on this book so you know let's let's i'm not doing to overstate uh my criticisms of the book let's say it's just that you know i i think there are some parts that maybe you know he should have done like uh like a fourth version or a fifth version of his story maybe in the 70s uh <laughs> and taking some more time writing it and it might be even better but no it was good i, I liked it uh fair, fair and it, it is funny and it is funny that it is like john was saying it's like uh it's like dick did the time scoop and found out that we were going to, like, which order we were going to read his books in. And then went back in time and dropped this book in 1964 to wrap up all of the themes and, like, cool tech from the previous four books. And then it just appears magically in this book. So I think we've been scooped as well. Fuck, fuck yeah, dude. I love that reading. I hope, I hope, I hope TKD scooped us. <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope that's true. I... I Kevin, like you, when I got to that part of the time scoop, I could not believe my goddamn eyes. I never thought I would see the word time scoop again, and I googled it, and apparently it's in Doctor Who. Apparently, time scoop is a Doctor Who thing. Really? I have, I've never watched Doctor I've Who. I've watched a lot of Doctor Who. I don't Doctor know. I googled. Who. I don't. I, I, I googled it and said time scoop is like a, a bunch of Doctor Who like wikis pop up when I Google it. Maybe, maybe it's maybe I'm wrong. Cut, edit this out if uh, if I'm wrong. Hmm. I'm googling it right now. What was he? Time okay. Scoop. Yeah, TARDIS Wiki. TARDIS is a Doctor Who thing, right? Yeah, so, yeah. That's the, this is, there's even a movie called Time Scoop Hunter. What? What the hell? A, a Doctor Time Who Scoop movie? Time Scoop Hunter the movie. No, it's it's a Japanese movie. The The first sentence is, Yuchi Kanami works as a Time Scoop Hunter for the Time Scoop Company. That sounds like All a right, different well, Time Scoop. I don't scoop. know. Can we add that to the list? <laughs> uh, well, sure. Um, uh, do you guys have what's, do you have a favorite dickism? There's so many good ones in this book. The red, the redorizer. Redorizer. Okay, Jacob. 
Uh, I have a specific configuration of the flapple. There's a throwaway part where Webster Foot is getting out of a flapple, and it says that he disinflappled. And that was <laughs> the funniest thing I read in this book is when a character disinflapples. So that's <laughs> that's mine. Jacob, even even you, the biggest <laughs> Philip K. Dick hater the dick has ever seen have have has to admit that when he when, when he you just have to you just, on, all you can do is applaud all you can do is just give it up on, for the great man when he's on, it's so good. Yeah. i'm gonna have to go a stink of shrink the, the the fake plague that makes you smell something in your head shrinks <laughs> even even the leddies the leddies are even that just as a term is really good like the leddies that sounds like it could be in Battlestar Galactica as like a, a, a derogative yeah. term for Cylons or something for androids it's really good what, one, one question though Jacob where do you rank this in the stuff we read like is this like top, um, does it beat does it beat uh, is it below Ubik for you because I, I know you like Ubik a lot I still think Ubik is my number one in terms. Well, sorry, are we also including the short stories or just the novels? Yeah, it's include them all. Um, I would put this kind of like I think my ranking is like I think I like Ubik the most. I think Paycheck is the least good, even though I like it a lot and it was like a lot of fun to read. Like I think Paycheck is just like not exactly the craziest. It's not. It's not what you come to Dick for. I think there's no distant flapping, even though it has. There's no, there's no, there's some flapping in, uh, in, in, uh, there's paycheck, a time but <laughs> yeah, the, the time, time scoop is amazing. The time scoop is great. We have to, yeah. You, we can't, we but can't, but it feels like off, he's restraining himself. We can't write off paycheck <laughs> like, because it does introduce the time scoop. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Paycheck is great. I'm glad we read it, but I'm just saying like, it's relatively restrained compared to like the full dick experience where you're getting six or seven premises at once that not all of them even get completed. Uh, yeah, sorry. So I guess my ranking would go. I put it uh, Ubik. I put Man in the High Castle. Um, I would put the, the Penultimate Truth, Electric Ant, Paycheck. I think those are the ones we've read to this point. Uh, that's kind of the order I would put them in. Our dozens of listeners are probably tired of hearing our score our score of listeners probably tired of listening to some some snobs talk about these books so i think it's time we introduce some of the people's reviews um pulled from amazon and goodreads to see what people who don't have literature degrees and master's degrees like you asked oh don't don't talk don't don't talk about our degrees (laughs) what are the what do the people of the world have to say about these books jacob what would you find okay so i've got two reviews here one short and sweet by mr shahabi on goodreads it's two stars, and his comment is, this is like a sci-fi version of 1984. <laughs> 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 That's all he said. I don't know what went wrong. Um, I got one more. I, this is the worst review I could find on Goodreads. It's one star. Um, it starts with, I thought I'd enjoy this Oh, book. I read this. I have the same one, Jacob. Can we just have a moment to digest a sci-fi version of 1984? <laughs> Did they read 1984? A book I believed was a sci-fi version from my recollection. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that's, that's crazy to me. Jacob, I found this. I, was, I have this exact same review pulled up on my phone. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is the, uh, the, um. By Luna. Luna, <laughs> one star. Do you want to, you want to read this one then? I, I was going to skip just to like the last paragraph, which is the funniest part to me, but go for it. Yeah. I thought I'd enjoy this book. World War III occurred, and some of it appeared to be fought on Mars. And during that time, most of humanity went underground. The war finished two years later, but people were told by the politicians that the war was still going on and the surface wasn't safe. And this lie just kept on going. And then there was some kind of political intrigue and time travel, and that's when I got lost. 
When I should, when I should the book to my father, the only thing he said was, he wrote most of his work high. Ah, I said, that makes sense. I found the language to be very difficult to follow. I couldn't tell what was up or down, left or right, forwards or backwards. I struggled throughout all of it. God. <laughs> One star. It's so funny. That's really funny that they went to like their father. But what's also funny is like a lot of people they'd be like, oh, this book doesn't make any sense. And someone would be like, ah, this person was on drugs, and they really go, oh, never mind. This person's a genius. Like, yeah. like I hate, I hate. I know we're gonna talk about this when we get to Center Darkly, but I hate drug movies, like trip movies. I hate them, and I hate like I now when I was younger I used to like them, but now I hate like drug books too. So like I don't know, it's such a weird thing that people like will excuse things like like a poor quality art if someone was like on drugs. Like, oh, I mean, you just what? have to, like, first of all, not think about it logically. And it's like, I don't know. First of all, who, really how many novels... you've been doing this entire episode? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I love this book. It's great. Like, <laughs> how many novelists have not done drugs? How many novelists have not done drugs? One, I guess. Two, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Isn't the joke is, like, John Irving's, like, the only novelist who, like, has no vices and his books are all terrible? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I bet J.M. Coetzee doesn't do drugs. No. I feel like he has a few soda pops every once in a while. No, he's like Michael Shannon in Boardwalk Empire where he whips himself at night. <laughs> what are we doing next? Was it going to be the Golden Man? Was that the idea? I thought we did a Golden Man and watch the Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah, next. So, yeah, next. Nicolas Cage movie, Philip K. Dick book. Apparently very little connection between the two. But uh, I'm excited. I have a feeling both of these ones are gonna be huge turds. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm here for it. There's no know? way. Of course, I'm always here for there's it. There's no way there's a mutant movie with Nicolas Cage that's not like at least fun to watch. Oh, mutants! Oh, oh God, I'm on board now. I love mutants. <laughs> that was Book Show, a show about books. Music and editing by Kevin Sexton. Jacob is trying to pry open his TV set. John left his Artifork heart in San Francisco. If you find it, let us know. You can follow us on Twitter at a bookshow or email us at a show about books at gmail.com. We'll be back in two weeks to discuss Philip K. Dick's short story The Golden Man and the 2007 movie adaptation next. Until then, emptiness.